Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. It's in John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's God's word, and maybe even, I I don't know if you say it a little bit more, but it's uh, maybe even more than that. It's the desire and love of God's word that really can, can mark a true believer. Job, in chapter 23, says it this way, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Think about this, Job, and you know the story of Job. Most of you at least know some part of Job. Pretty much the most, I don't want to say unlucky, but the most unlucky man that ever walked the face of the earth. He lost everything. Every single thing that he ever owned, he lost it. But yet he says in Job 23, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man. Then he continues to go on, he says, where his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, 97, really if you read all of Psalm 119, you'll see the power of God's word. But it says in Psalm 119, starting in verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Though through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients. Because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. As we continue this morning in 1 Peter, we're going to start in chapter number 2. But Peter was writing and he was, he was desiring that those he was writing to would begin to understand the urge and the desire of knowing and loving and falling in love with God's Word and understanding the foundation of that which it was. It is important that we begin to not just be told how important that God's Word is, but that we begin to feel and understand the urge and the desire in our hearts. Listen, I can tell you all that I want, how amazing God's Word is, but until you begin to dive into it, you begin to get the desire, it, it's only I can only do so much, and the people around you can only do so much. And Peter was saying, man, you, you guys need this. If we continue just a little bit more looking into God's word, in John 6 it says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Psalm 119 again, he says, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. God's word is sweeter than honey to our mouth. God's word is filling. It is the one thing we should strive for above all else. You know, in just a few moments, I'll reiterate that, in just a few moments, we will leave here and you will go eat lunch. Everybody in this room, for the most part, will leave this building. You'll either go home and grab something to eat. You'll go out to a restaurant and grab something to eat. But most everybody in here is going to leave here and begin to eat something. 
At about 11.40, 11.45, I'm going to start to be seeing rustling of people, looking at watches, turning around to see the clock in the back, to see if I'm aware of what's going on. Because lunch is about to happen. It's clockwork. This is how it works. And at about 11.50 and 55, it gets a lot worse. And then at like 11.58, you guys are like, just shut it so we can leave. But no, in all seriousness, listen, we're going to leave here and we're going to eat. Because we need nourishment for our bodies. Now, the reality is this. None of us need to leave here and go eat. Seriously. And it's not because we're all fat. But we've all eaten two and three and four and five, however many meals you eat a day for the last however many years you've been alive. We don't need that because we're capable of going without but here's what I'm saying. We will leave here and we will go eat. I'm going to guess that most of you cleaned yourself up before you came this morning. You jumped in a shower. You put some form of product in your hair. You took a blow dryer and you did your hair. You took a curling iron. Ladies, you took makeup and you painted your faces. We do all of these things. I shouldn't say that, should I? You beautified yourself with makeup. You got yourself ready. Hey, some of you this week or today, you've been to the gym. You've taken your vitamins. You've got your supplements. You did all of these different things. You went to the store. You bought fashionable clothes. You bought shoes. You did certain things. Why? Because we want to present ourselves in a manner. We do things to keep our physical bodies, some of us to the best of our abilities, others of us, we just don't care too much, right? But regardless, we do things to present ourselves physically. You know, most of us, though, would spend far more time on our physical bodies than we ever do on our spiritual bodies. And I don't say that to be a, a punch in the mouth to, to make you, but really this morning, one of the things my desire is, is that we would stop for just a minute and look at our spiritual lives just a little bit. I was talking to a gentleman, I had lunch with a, he's a missions pastor across town, um, and it's a gentleman, I went to Egypt with them last year, and um, here in October, I'll be going to Brazil with this gentleman, we'll be teaching local pastors in Brazil, but I was talking with him, and he, I believe it's this week, he's going to meet with the gentleman that he met, and this guy is kind of, I think he's like 87 or 88 years old, he's written books, he's, he's a gentleman who is very well known as almost like a discipleship guru. He has done, to the best of his ability, followed the principles and practices of God's Word with discipleship. And God's Word says what? They spent time together every day, all day. And this gentleman will take people one-on-one -on -one and he will spend time with them in discipling men in the gospel. So this gentleman I was talking to, his name is John said that as he was having a phone conversation with the other guy, I don't know his name, but the gentleman made reference to this. And he said, we do a principle in the church, and that's tithing. Many of you will tithe a 10% of your first fruits of your income. And he said this, he asked, he kind of posed this question, what if we were to think on tithing in a form of our time? What if we tithe to our time? 
Man, think about that. If you were to tithe according to your time, there's 24 hours in a day. That's 2.4 hours that you would spend with God on a daily basis. Most of us in this room would go, how in the world would I do that? Because here's what most believers do. We go, well, if I could get away with spending about 15 minutes of time with God, then I'll be able to say that I did it. But as we look at the Word of God today, God's Word is going to speak of the desire to long for God's Word. And I'm not here saying today that you need to tithe according to the time that God has given to you. Though that would be an incredible thing if we were to do that. Think of the impact. You want to make an impact in your life and an impact in the church and an impact in the community? I don't know how many there are in here this morning, say 150 adults in this room. If we were to each tithe according to the time that God has given to us, if every person in this room would spend 2.4 hours in God's Word and in prayer and in meditation, think of the impact that would make in the city and the community in which you live. I'll be honest, as I was thinking about that, that was a little bit of a punch to the gut. Now, I spend a lot of time, but that's a lot of that time is studying in preparation for you. That's not individual time. See, there's, to me personally, there's a difference. I study God's Word to present a message. I also need to study on my own in my own personal time as well. Our desires need to change. And Peter is saying, because of the incorruptible Word of God, we must make changes. We need to adjust things in our lives so that God's Word becomes our lifeline and nothing else. If you go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 2, starting in verse number 1, we're going to read just a few verses this morning. As we continue in with this series, Simon says, which is a verse-by-verse study in the book of First, or in the, the book of First Peter. Chapter 2, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Father, I pray that just what we've just read, these first three verses, that would be our heart's cry. Lord, that we would desire your word. Lord, that we would desire that we would put off all of these things, the things that pull us down, the things that keep us from you. Because you are perfect. You are loving. You are kind. You are just. You're gracious. You're merciful. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, for it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. The question this morning is this, how do we learn, how do we desire God's word? The desire of God's word, and the first point is this, the first thought is this, and it says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies. And envies and all evil speakings. The first thought is this, a call to repentance. If I am to, to have a desire for God's word, if I am to have a desire to grow in him, I must be called back to repentance. Repentance must be at the forefront of my mind often. This verse is, really it's awesome. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, 
Uh, we started, I guess this is the seventh week, I believe it is, in First in Peter, but we started this seven weeks ago. And the last, the last half of First Peter chapter 1 is really a call to action as believers. We've looked at redemption, we've looked at all these different things, and we come to this passage of Scripture, and it says, Wherefore? Which again, as we study God's Word, if you reading, studying anything, when it says wherefore or therefore, you have to go back. And so as we go back into 1 Peter chapter 1, it begins to, to lay out all of these different things. Wherefore, because that God has given us redemption, because that God has, has, has called us to love one another, because that God has done all of these things, therefore, because of all of this, because His Word is incorruptible, because He loves, because of all of these things, we must do this. And he says we must what? There has to be a call to repentance. Because of all that he has done, now, he says, lay aside all malice. A reminder of how great that he is. Because the living and enduring word of God the seed that is imperishable, since it is God's word at the source of salvation, since it is his word that gives us a new life, since God's word is not corruptible but incorruptible, these are the reasons, these are the things that we must begin to move forward with. Since God's word is enduring forever and is incorruptible, since it is the foundation of life, it is that which will forever be true. It is and will always be the word of God that will change and transform lives. And regardless, listen to this, regardless of how far you go from God and God's word, or regardless of any of those things, God's word is always the same. Two thousand years ago, God's word was the same as it is in 2017. Regardless of culture, God's word is the same. And so whether you get saved in 2017 or you got saved in the year 125, God's word remains the same and it's never been changed. It's the living word of God that draws us to repentance. Peter says here, wherefore, because of all of these things, repent is basically what he said. Seek his face and forgiveness. This may not be the, the key issue, however, it is very high on the list of things that we must strive to be Christ-like, and that is having a repentant heart in everything that we do. We must do those things. And here, Peter says to lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies. If we go to Colossians chapter 3, Paul said it this way. But now ye also put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. True transformation is literally putting aside the old life in exchange for the new. It is that we would put off all of these things. I found this incredibly interesting as I was studying this week. In the ancient Christian church, baptisms were done the same as far as 
death, burial, resurrection. But as I was reading this, one of the things that it came up with was one of the things that they used to do was this. When you would get baptized, you would go in in one set of clothes and then they would literally put a new robe on you as a literal symbol of a new man and a new person that is, has come forward as a visual and something to see. I thought, wow, that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. Yes, we understand the symbol, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection. But to think of when they get out of that, they would put them in a new robe that would say, hey, just a visual reminder, you are a, a new creature in Christ. Now, we understand, I hope you would understand this, that happens at salvation, not at baptism. But as we symbolize coming before the church to say, hey, I am a new creature, I am coming in baptism, that we would, they would do that. I just found that that was interesting. Again, not something that, it just sparked something in my mind. But it says this, laying aside, and it says, all malice. Really, all is the key. Malice in the English is to desire harm to somebody. But here as we look at this passage of scripture and what Peter was writing and in this time and this day and age, it was literally speaking of uh, more of an all-encompassing referring, referring to general wickedness. We look at it and we use malice in a little bit different language today than what it was then. Here it was almost literally an all-encompassing, really he could have said all malice, and ended the conversation with sin. Does that make sense? But he goes on, he says, all malice. And he says, all deceit. He says, wherefore, because of all of this, because of what God did, the salvation, redemption, all of these things, because of that, we need to lay aside malice. We need to lay aside all guile, all deceit. To bait or to fish hook somebody. It is guile. It is dishonesty. It is a falsehood. It is treachery. I don't think there's anything worse than when somebody is trying to do something with a motive to deceive you. You know, most of you don't enjoy going to a car dealership, right? If you're a car salesman, I'm sorry. But most of us do not enjoy going to a car salesman or to any salesman that has the flexibility to change what is priced, right? Maybe it's just me. I can't stand it. I don't like the hassle. I don't want to haggle with anybody. If it's $10, I want to give you $10, and I want to move on with my life. I don't want you to come back and say, well, I could do this for you. No, what's the price? Let's go. That's how I work. I probably get raked over the coals often, but I really don't care because I don't want to deal with it. At any rate, we don't like that. Why? Because we feel there's a deception. We don't like going somewhere where we feel that we are being deceived. God's word says, Peter was writing, hey, lay aside, get rid of all deceit. He says to get rid of all hypocrisy. I've said this before, but hypocrisy was originally, or what it was initially used as, was an actor. Because what's an actor doing? An actor is playing a part. An actor would come over here, they put on the mask, they put on the face makeup, they put on all of the things that they do, and then they walk on stage and they act out something that they're not. He says, Peter says, get rid of hypocrisy. Put that away. Lay aside the hypocrisy. One who is pretending to be somebody that they're not. A behavior that is not genuine or consistent with one or with what one really believes or says they believe. 
He says, lay aside envy. That is a resentment of others. That What does envy do? When I envy, I begin to hold grudges. I begin to treat people differently. I begin to become bitter. I begin to, I, there's an anger. There's, a, there's all of these things that begin to build up when I become envious of something that you have or that I want. Build the conflict. And he goes on to say all slander. That is, that is tattling and whispering behind people's back. Gossiping, backbiting, ultimately is a defamation of one's character. Peter says you need to put these things away. Put away all malice. And I said it earlier, really, he could have just ended it there because all malice in that day was really it was all-encompassing of the sins that we just that he laid out even more specifically. So looking at the passage this morning, how, how is it in our life, how is it in your life that you begin to desire the Word of God? Peter starts by saying, put aside all of the sin to the best of your ability. If I were to just wrap it up in, in, a, in a word, put aside the sin. Put aside the things that weigh you down. Put aside the things that are causing you to not go to God's Word. There has to be that call to repentance. The next thought is this, that there would be a, a recognizing. We would recognize our need. So Peter looks in verse number one. He says, hey, lay aside all these things. Then it says in verse number two, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Listen, for each and every one of us in here, I said this earlier, is that we oftentimes, here's what I always did, even as a youth pastor at times, hey, I would encourage kids and young people to get into God's word. Begin to read, begin to do devotions, begin to do these things. And I would say something along the lines of, just start with a little bit. Do you know most people do this? Well, what's the least amount that I can get away with and still be considered where I'm supposed to be, right? Is that not naturally what we do? It is naturally what all of us do. In my nature, I say, well, let's see. I can have a really good relationship with God if I spend 30 minutes a day. Or if it's 40 minutes a day. Whatever that would be. But most of us go to, what is the least amount of time that I can spend on something and still get it done and be good at it? We have to recognize the need of God's Word in our lives. The need of God's Word in our lives. And listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't mean to break your bubble. I don't mean to be any of those things today. My intention is not to be a jerk and not to be rude. But the reality is this. If you think coming to church on a Sunday morning for 40 minutes and hearing the Word of God for that time is enough to succeed or to get you to the point where you need to be, it's not. Just like I said, in the next few minutes, in the next... It's 11.23 for those of you that are worried. In the next 36 minutes, because it just went to 24, you'll be leaving here and to go grab lunch. Maybe more than that. If that was the only food that you had for the rest of the week, how would you be doing? How would we be doing? Hey, it could, it could man you could manage that. If all you did was eat on Sunday afternoon after church service, you could manage. Right? 
you're shaking your head. <laughs> really, you can. You may not be healthy. You may get tired. You may get feeble. You may need other. Why? Because the nutrition isn't in our body. But oftentimes in our spiritual lives, that's what we think is acceptable. Well, the pastor studied and the pastor gave it to me and it was encouraging. And I'm good for the rest of the week and I'll see you again next week. Maybe I'll pick up a little something in the middle of the week at small group. We must recognize the need for God's word. Literally what this is speaking of, and I don't think I have to go too deep into this. I think it kind of explains itself. But it's speaking of an infant. When the baby comes out of the womb, there is an immediate need in that baby's life. Everything has changed for that baby. Right? All the ways in which the, that, that infant received nutrition inside of the womb of the mother has completely changed. What do they do? They, they swaddle them, they clean them all up, they wrap them up tight, and they keep them warm. And what is the first thing that they do? They give it right to the mother so long as the baby is healthy enough. They need that. That infant, I, they need that. They put them under a heating lamp. They do all of those things to keep them. Why? And what are they doing? They're crying. Because everything has changed. They suction out all the stuff that was in their mouth. They do all of these things because everything over the last nine months of growing inside of the womb has completely changed. And I'm no scientist guy. I'm not a doctor by any means. But there's been a huge change in their life. And it's not before too long. What are they doing? They begin to cry and you begin to get milk. And they give the baby back to the, back to the mother so that the mother can begin to feed that newborn baby. Why? Because the baby longs for it. The baby is desiring the milk from his mother. And as we look in God's word, that is what Peter is saying needs to take place. There needs to be a longing for an intense, recurring, insatiable desire and passion for the Word of God. Literally, it is this. It is, a, it is to have a, a strong desire, that that a husband and a wife would have one for another. One for another. Maybe it's an extreme craving when you have been without food for, a day, for, for several days. Maybe it's the longing you have after somebody that you love, that you care for, has passed on and went on before you. And you long, you long to see them again. You hurt. Your stomach hurts. I don't say this stuff often, but Mindy's grandmother lost her husband two years ago. How long were they married? Do you remember? 60-something, 70-something years. This week, her grandmother was found with all of the lights on in the house searching for her grandfather. She's longing as if he was just back. We cry. We hurt. When we lose that person that is so close to us. Do we not? Peter is saying, if you would just have a longing for God's word. Would we desire, would we crave God's word? And it says that as he keeps going, a newborn babe desires the, what does it say, sincere. 
head is literally impure. If we were to really take it back and go to exactly what it's talking about, it's that pure, uncontaminated milk that comes right from the farm. It's pure. It's uncontaminated. And as we look at this, it's God's word that is, that is pure, that we would long to have this. And let me go into this, and I just, I love this thought here. And I'll get into the last point this morning. But this, this thought was this, Peter, nowhere in this passage of scripture does Peter say that you would desire to study, that you would desire to memorize, that you would desire to meditate, that you would desire to have any of those things, but that in our heart that we would long for the word of God. Listen, so many times, this is, I was, I'll be real honest, before I was studying this, my, my thought was, hey, that we would desire to go into study, that we would study God's word and that we would memorize God's word, we would do all of these things. Peter wasn't saying that. He was saying initially there has to be a desire. Where does the desire come from? Let's go back a few weeks. The redemption, the blood that was shed, the salvation that God gave us is the initial. That's where the desire comes. God gives us that. And as we desire, as we desire, as we long for the word of God, then comes the other thing. Then comes that meditation. Then comes the memorization. Then comes the study. Then comes all of these things. But it starts with a desire, a longing. Listen, I'll just be real honest with you. I hated school. I hated it. There was nothing about school that I was just like, yay, I can't wait to go back to school. Other than sports and my friends. I wanted to hang out with my buddies, and I wanted to play ball. And really, I did that without school. I turned down college baseball, so I did not have to go to school. That's dumb. You know what? It was hard for me to study because it was not something that I wanted to do. Never studied one time until I got in college. Ask my wife, trying to study in college was very, very difficult. We would sit down, and we would begin the process, and she would try to help me study, because I had never studied. And about two seconds in, I would go, hey, look, and she'd go, Aaron, we're studying. And about three minutes in, I would say, hey, but what about this? And she would say, Aaron, we're trying to study. I didn't care. You laugh. I didn't care. Now, it was a lot of money to not care, but I didn't care. When it comes to God's word in our lives, it's really about the same thing. Until we have a longing. You know what I did study? I studied all my major classes. I aced all the way through my youth classes and my Bible classes and all of those things. Because why? I desired to do it. I passed science, and I passed math, and I passed English. I aced Bible. I aced youth. I aced, why? Because I desired to do it. 
When I desire, where does the desire come? The redemption, the blood that God had shed for you and I, that Jesus shed on the cross. It gives me a desire, it gives me a longing that I would study, that I would know His Word, that I would memorize His Word. We have to get to a place that we would long and desire His Word. Let me ask you this question. I said just a few moments ago, if Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon was the only day that you went and ate lunch, we would be malnourished. Many of you in this room sponsor children across the world. I know a handful of you that sponsor children in Haiti. With a missionary that we sponsor as a church. Why do we do that? Why do you see commercials on television and they show starving children? Because we look at that and we draw an emotional attachment to a child who is not being fed. It's it's hard. I've been overseas and I've held babies that that are six months old that were as big as my child as an infant coming out of the womb. It's hard. You tear up. You cry. You want to take them home. You want to provide for them and all of those things. They are malnourished. Listen, here is just as much as we cry about people being malnourished. We ought to be crying and we ought to be hurt and we ought to be broken of the malnourishment spiritually that goes on in the churches and in our lives on a regular basis because there is no feeding oftentimes. But we don't think of it. We don't think of it because I sing a song and I raise my hand because I sit in a Bible study and praise God, I I pray that you're doing it. And I'm not saying that everybody in here, I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to call you out, but we've got to stop and think about these things. Why? Because spiritually, there is one thing that will last for all of eternity, and that is my spirit. There is one thing that will forever go with me, spirit. My body will, will not last forever. I like to say that I'm still somewhat young, but I'm still feeling the effects of getting older. A lot of you tell me on a regular basis, hey, just don't get old, you'll be okay. Right? Our bodies change. Physically, we change. Spiritually, though, we should be constantly be growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Let me ask you, how are you in spiritual nourishment? How are we doing with our spiritual nourishment? Because those are the things as we continue that it's God's word that we need, that we need to desire just as much as we need to go eat lunch in the next 20, 30 minutes. We should desire that. The last part this morning is seeing the blessing. Seeing the blessing in verse number three, it says, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I don't think I put this up on the screen, but in Psalm 
chapter 34 and verse 8, it says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. That word if. If so. Oftentimes it's it's just a two word, two letters. It's, it's a small little word, but how large that it is. Basically, this is, is what's going on here. It's more not a question as much as a statement. Since you have tasted, since you have experienced the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the grace of the Lord, since you have done those things, therefore, we should desire more of the goodness through the feeding on the Word of God. We need to always be surveying God's blessings. Daily, we should be thankful for the blessings and the hand of God in our lives. Listen, I don't care how bad you think you have it today. You have been graciously blessed by God Almighty. And I don't think there's a person here that would not disagree with that. God has given us life. He has given you clothing. He has given us As a church, we sometimes desire and want things go outside of our walls into another country and see how they worship God. They're lucky to have a concrete floor. They're lucky to have a roof over their head. Most of them are some type of a thatched roof, some type of a whatever it would be, it's, it's all over. And I don't need to say that, and I'm not saying that we need... You understand what I'm saying? But we have been blessed so abundantly by God. And Peter says, because you have been, since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you ought to all the more desire We ought to desire Him because we have seen it and tasted it. I've said it so many times. I've said it so many times. We all have mountains of faith. And so often, I am like the children of Israel, where God has parted the Red Sea. I get to the other side and I say, God, why did you do this to me? Can we not just go back to where we were? Because I have completely forgotten the parting of the Red Sea or my mountain of faith. Why? Because I'm a selfish, 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 prideful individual. And because right now it doesn't always feel good, I often forget the graciousness and the kindness, and the mercy, and the love that God has given to me. And because I'm angry with God, I lay on the floor like I'm a two-year-old, and I kick my feet, and I say, God, why you do this to me? If you're a father or a mother in this room, you've heard one of your children say, you just don't like me. 
You like them more than you like me. To which I say, yes, I do. You're right. We know that's not true. My children, when they say it, they know that that's not true. They know that they're loved. But you know what they do, like I do? I'm upset at the moment, and I forget sometimes just how good that I have. God's Word says, because of that, because of the graciousness of God, because of all of the things that you've experienced, desire, long for, crave the Word of God. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.